Hey everyone, Neil here. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that this episode of Shot by Shot is brought to you by Filmstruck. We're huge fans of Filmstruck here at uh, One Perfect Pod. Did you know that you can now stream critically acclaimed films and cult favorites from the world's greatest film libraries with Filmstruck? It's also now available on Roku. Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and the exclusive streaming home of the Criterion Collection. Filmstruck brings you a wealth of independent and foreign titles updated weekly, along with original bonus material and expert commentary. And did I mention it's now available on Roku? You can start your free trial today, free 14-day trial, if you go to filmstruck.com. And now, over to Perry and Jeff. Good day to you fair film fans, and welcome again to another episode of Shot by Shot, the official cinematography podcast of One Perfect Shot and Film School Rejects. I'm H. Perry Horton, and sitting across the aisle from me in cyberspace is co-host, OPS founder, and co-host of the new podcast, Geek and the Cop, Jeff Todd. Yay, you Today- did it. Hey, see, I got it. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about not just one of our favorite films of all time, and not just one of the most important American films of all time, but a significant cinematic contribution to our society, culture, and communal sense of understanding of contemporary race relations. I'm speaking, of course, of Spike Lee's masterful Do the Right Thing, which was shot by Ernest R. Dickerson. Oh, I thought we were going to cover Inside Man. Wait, are you... Oh, okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> because nothing I have is going to work for Inside Man. <laughs> nothing. It's self an impressive film, it, though. Oh, oh, great film. Great film. Although, you hear it from everybody. The uh, the least Spike Lee, Spike Lee movie. Uh, yeah, I would say that. I would say that. What do you think... Yeah, that's funny, because I just watched U-Turn the other night. Oliver Stone's U-Turn. I think that's the most un-Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone movie. I think Natural Born Killers is the most un-Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone movie. You know what's funny is Natural Born Killers and U-Turn kind of share uh, a kinetic, kinetic camera. They occupy a, a similar space. They, they, they occupy that uh, Oliver Stone midlife crisis space where you can tell that he is just a, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, he is just a filmmaker of, a, of an older generation. And this is the mid-90s. This is Tarantino. This is... This is Oliver Stone on acid. Is what that is. This, yeah, these are these, this is Oliver Stone feeling the heat from the young guys nipping at his heels and trying to make something a little more what he thinks is contemporary and what just really just looks like an old dude having an acid right. flashback. Right. <laughs> but yeah, That's what that when, when was the first time you saw him do the right thing? Uh, college. I think it was college. Maybe. Yeah, college or high school or late high school. Uh, not in the theater. Not in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater. I didn't come to the very small southern town that I am from. I did see I did see Malcolm X in the theater. That came, but but Do the Right Thing did not. Yeah, Malcolm X was the first Spike Lee I saw in the theater. I saw Do the Right Thing as a screener when it came into our video store, but I knew about it because I was such a uh, a Siskel and Ebert fan, you know, and mm-hmm. I, it came on. Siskel and Ebert was on eleven thirty five on Sundays in Portland, and uh, I remember them not just talking about Do the Right Thing, but celebrating Do the Right Thing, talking about how influential it was, how important it was, mm-hmm. what a visceral experience it was to spend time with these characters and it was on my viewing list forever so when i got that screener the vhs screener came into the store that blue cover you know with uh 
with Mookie on on, on oh, front. The old, yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. It was like you know I couldn't wait to get off work and and watch that movie. And you know here's the thing I remember most about the movie is that the media had built this into a cinematic IED. Like this was this was a dangerous movie. Studios were worried about riots. Some theaters I remember refused to show it. The film itself was this conversation on racism and racism towards the film caused this false concern. So in you know I was watching it on on VHS. I was. I was safe inside my home, um, but I kept thinking, you know, what would this be like in a in a theater watching this movie that is passionate about its issues, that is having this discussion in this incredibly cinematic and beautiful way, yet people are trying to build hate around this movie. You know, it was just wrong, and it was racist. You know, and I knew that even even as a kid in whatever, you know, whatever I was, I was in the, you know, I think eighth grade or something like that, or ninth grade. Um, but this movie had everything in it. It had music, it had passion, it had comedy, suspense. I loved these characters and I loved the story and I loved the experience of the film. And the older I get, the more it means to me on a really profound level. Um, this is a film that rests firmly in my to- all-time top five. It's a film that is required viewing in our family and should be in yours and in every you know city, county, state, and federal office. Any office that's serving the public should be forced to watch this movie. I think schools should show this movie. I think uh, high schools should show this movie. In every neighborhood and bureau, they should show this movie. When I say film can change the world, it's films like this that can do it. And shame on us that this movie's message is still relevant after all these years. You know what I mean? It is. And I think it was. I think the reason I'm having a hard time talking about it is because like I think being a Southerner and being a especially a rural southerner you feel at least i do when i watch spike lee movies or, or films that deal directly with with white black race relations i feel like the bad guy in these situations um you know like watching this stuff is you know I, there's there's a there's a large part of me that feels like this isn't for me that like this isn't i'm not allowed to to participate in this because of you know where i come from and what people who come from there have have done and have thought um so I, I think there was a there was a, a I think I saw these movies through a weird spectrum the first few times I saw them. I think it wasn't until I got older that that I realized that that in as much as they aren't necessarily designed for an audience that looks like me, they are in in many ways more necessary to an audience that looks like me. And and I, and I think of all of them, do the right thing is is, is the most important. I, I legitimately believe that this this film should be taught the same way that we teach you know novels in high school i think every american should have to see and learn about this movie i really really do you know i was uh, uh speaking of geek and the cop i was doing uh just the other day i was recording the episode uh, uh we did for the french connection with william freakin and i said with william freakin you know i was just a huge fan of his filmography and i love the hits as much as i love the misses um but spike lee's the same way you know spike lee has a, a career where some of his films have have hit and some of them miss but even in his misses there's still something to celebrate because like girl six is a movie that just doesn't it doesn't work for me but there are still spots in that movie that i love i don't know if he's ever done anything that i just haven't liked. no and i don't it's, it's this is a I don't, this is another weird thing to say but like it's almost like it, it's not about success like just each spike lee film is a different kind of experiment whether it's a narrative yeah. experiment or a cinematographical experiment or it's a you know it's another documentary or it's like there's just every he's just you see spike lee learning and trying and just you, you, you just want to say, like, having fun being a filmmaker. Like, this is a guy who's got a very natural filmmaking talent, and he is just, he is spreading it all over the place. He's like an American Herzog. He's just, he, yeah, he, he'll, very much he'll so. shoot everything. He'll shoot everything, and he'll do it all in a really, really interesting ways. I hate Kobe Bryant. Oh, with a passion. I hate Kobe Bryant. Yes. 
I'm a Blazer fan. I got nothing. We live in Rip City. I got respect for him, but I do not. I do not love Kobe Bryant. You know what? I've still seen that Spike Lee Kobe Bryant <laughs> documentary like three times because that shit is cool. Oh, it's, it's just, great. It's great. It's just the 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 guy is just a born storyteller, and everything yeah, yeah. he tells, even if I'm not down with. You know, like you said, even if it doesn't work for me, there's still a lot you can learn from all of it. But I think that's I think that's why Spike Lee's movies have been so resonant outside the African American community because they're not their anger is is displayed in 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 a, in a different way. It's dispersed among many characters and it's dispersed among many facets of those characters, and so it's not just one angry person yelling at another angry person, you know, one angry white dude yelling at, a, at an angry black man. It's just, it, it's not that, for lack of a better word, it's not that black and white. Like, it's it, it's more realistic. It, it, I mean, he's Spike Lee seems more con- concerned with the underlying racism in, inherent to our culture than the, you know, certainly he's concerned with the expository, but... You know, the, the the tougher racism to conquer isn't the stuff that's in your face, it's the stuff that's yeah. not in your face that yeah. still exists. And I think that's where his focus tends to be um and sort of bringing that that inherent racism to the surface bubbling it up like like he doesn't do the right thing yeah you know and and it's why you know the character of mookie throws the trash can through sal's window you know mookie's not not the guy mookie's not the guy we would expect to throw the trash can through the window because of his relationship with sal at one point sal says you know you're like a son to me mookie you know and and, and so so when he does do that it's that much more surprising because we're learning that 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 rage kind of lives in in all of us it doesn't matter how good or bad you are it just matters how how much you can tolerate an intolerable situation right and at the same time no one's living in the glass house everyone is having levels of inappropriate responses right. you know like mookie mookie's throwing the trash can might be more justified than certain other acts but it's still a not a an appropriate way to, to that we consider to to respond to anger to to, to manifest your anger you know we 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 we're a culture that prides ourselves on Nonviolent displays, or, or so we at least at least we say, yeah, for for in, an inherently very very violent country. True fact, true fact, sad but true fact. But let's change gears. Let's uh, let's talk a little Ernie Dickerson. When did you first become aware of him? Same time. I mean, you can't you can you can't really be, become aware of Spike Lee without becoming aware of Ernest Dickerson. Even though they only worked together for uh, what are we talking about seven films? Yeah, uh, not a whole lot before before Dickerson goes off and starts his own directing career, which has been very. Uh, very successful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I knew Dickerson just from uh, – I was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. Uh, I was kind of almost like a comedy nerd growing up. And uh, I just knew his name from – because he did the – he shot did, Raw. Right, right. And so, I like, when I saw his name on Do the Right Thing, uh, you know, it was like, whoa, this is the guy who shot Raw. So I knew I had some 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 name recognition there. But, yeah, Spike uh, – Do the Right Thing was the first time where, like, I took note of, of – Ernie Dickerson because his his shots were so so rooted in this in this classic style. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think you you said you started that right. He's uh Dickerson's really well steeped in in classic Hollywood, I think. If you look at yeah. something like School Days especially which sort of harkens back to a a Busby Berkeley era. Yeah, very sort, much so. sort of a filmmaking. Yeah, I I think that that Dickerson is a very very classically oriented cinematographer or, or or you know, certainly he was you know, 30 years ago when these films were being made. Um, 
which is interesting because he too was was such a young man mm-hmm. coming out of this. I mean, there you know, you almost got to look at to someone like you know Damien Chazelle in terms of really young filmmakers that are coming out that that, that just has have that that classical base where that, that, right. that that's where their inspirations lie. Well, I remember somebody um, there was an article that was saying that he and Spike looked at uh, they watched Magnificent Ambersons before they shot do the right thing and they kind of use that as a as a template oh. to kind of build their scenes and you can you can see that in the uh yeah in the yeah i can see there, yeah there's a there's a real just general theatricality to the early spike film uh spike lee films especially uh you know you get a lot of the the face on shots you know the characters looking into the camera you get a lot of like really dramatic shots a lot of sweeping cranes and and, and dolly shots and stuff like that there's a lot of you know, sort of intentional artificiality to, to these things, which I think heightens yeah. them above just regular movies and sort of makes them, you know, puts them in the in the realm of, of allegories and, and, you know, more like fables almost. We're going to take a quick break. Check out the trailer for Do the Right Thing. Also hear from this week's sponsor, and then Perry and I will be back to talk about Ernie Dickerson's work on Do the Right Thing. Now you can stream critically acclaimed films and cult favorites from the world's greatest film libraries with Filmstruck. Filmstruck is an all-new streaming service for fans of great cinema and is the exclusive streaming home for the legendary Criterion Collection. Filmstruck brings you a wealth of independent and foreign titles updated weekly, along with original bonus material and expert commentary. Start your free 14-day trial today at filmstruck.com. Universal Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee. Good morning, Miss Mother's sister. Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here 25 years. Sal's famous pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I know you can't stand it. You can't stand it. Hey, hey Sal, I'm going to burst from the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. Get your own place, you can do what you want to do. What I tell you about that noise! What I tell you about them pictures! You talk to him, brother, talk to him. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom! Ah! Right here, man, in the back. Y'all take a chill! You like to sign a petition to boycott Sal's famous pizzeria? Hear me, what you ought to do is boycott that no good barber that messed up your head. And that's the double truth! You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. <laughs> Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? I can't even hear myself think! From Spike Lee. Director of School Days, and she's gotta have it. Good people, please. If we don't stop this and stop it now, we're going to do something we're going to regret for the rest of our lives. Doctor. Come on, what? What? Always do the right thing. That's it? That's it. I got it. I'm gone. All right, so I'm gonna start with a shot that's not a shot. Uh, it's a scene, and and it's it's the opening scene, the the credit sequence that features Rosie Perez dancing 
uh, you know, on the in, in the neighborhood. Um, this is a purely visual sequence, and while it's narratively separate, you know, uh, like I said, theatrically so from the rest of the film, it's also vital to establishing the tone and the atmosphere of the film. The dancing here is impassioned, not passionate, and there's a distinction. It's not sensual, it's urgent. It's a kind of controlled freneticism. It's an angry display, and you, te- you team this with the way the scene's lit, which is you know kind of oddly shadowy and vibrant at the same time. That reinforces this emotion, as does the hot color scheme, those deep yellows and oranges and the burning reds. This scene is foreshadowing both the emotional fires about to be set and the intentional conflagration that will end the film. Rosie herself is representative of a, of a human flame dancing on the block whose story is about to unfurl. She's the metaphorical emotional spark that prepares the audience for this blaze that's about to come. Yeah, you know, this is one of my favorite shots as well. Um, and the it was funny when I first saw this movie, I didn't expect to see her again in the film. No. Um, when, right. when she came up because she's so powerful in just that opening scene that it was almost a surprise. It's almost like a little treat that you get her again in the film because she is so amazing in this. Yeah, she's... And I think she's so effective in this opening scene because she is displaying the, the I think both the anger and the optimism yeah. of do the right thing. Yeah, it's not it's not fully it's not a fully angry display. It is an impassioned display. It is it is a display of, of use of channeling anger into something more positive or more beautiful or just better than angry. It's elevating right. the anger. And you know, I don't know of another director who sets the stage for his films better than Spike. You know, if you think of 25th Hour and how moving the opening moments of that film are, if you think of He Got Game, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I've long said that uh, Good, the Mad, and the Ugly Ugly is my favorite first 30 minutes in cinema. Uh, He Got Game is my favorite opening. That's a great. such a loving tribute to basketball. Fun fact, I know like three people in that. I was at. Do you really? I was in college at UNC Chapel Hill when this was being shot and part of it was shot down in North Carolina. And so when he came to school to get Dean Smith on, he did open auditions and took like a few guys just shooting shooting hoops. Yeah, I know like three dudes in that opening. Oh, that's I so I love rad. that film. God, I love that movie. I love oh, everything. The color that in that film is just, mm. the lighting is just breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such a moving father-son. Oh, God. Story. I need to watch He Got Game um, again. Uh, yeah, it's just, man, especially after the finals. Oh, right? yeah. You gotta Oof. watch He Got Game. Yeah, when everybody goes to fucking Hoosiers, no, dude. Like, dude, he got game is a superior film in every single he way. Got, Hoosiers is the movie white people to watch to remind, remind themselves that they can play basketball only yeah, in movies. Right, right. Hoosiers is a Hoosiers is a is a. I want I want to say this correctly. Fuck you, Kevin Love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really, come back to Portland. Hoosiers is a basketball movie. He got game is a movie about basketball. But very different. Two very different things. Very different. Very different. He Got Game has a greater, I think, has a greater appreciation and understanding of the game of basketball and how it affects the people who play it. But that's not what we are talking about. Sorry. That is our He Got Game side run. No, no, it's not. But yeah, but anyway, yeah, Spike Spike is amazing at setting the tone for his films. And um, the, the opening choreography uh, or the opening number of Do the Right Thing uh, sets the tone for this movie. And worth noting that Spike and, and Ernie Dixon also... Um, shot and directed the video for Fight the Power. Public Enemies, um, Fight the Power. So, yeah, this is mine. Um, 
You know, for my next shot, I want to highlight the use of zooms in this movie. This film is just about every technical shot you can think of. It uses God's eye, Dutch tilts, high angles, low angles. But nothing has the immediacy and tension of the zoom as the characters in our film are kind of trading racial insults one at a time as the camera starts a fast zoom and ends in a close-up. We're taught early on that words don't hurt us. That was never true, and it was, and it's not true here. Hearing those words articulated and feeling the force of that camera as these characters get in our face makes us the target. We feel those like we feel a punch in a Shaw Brothers movie. You know what I mean? Words fucking hurt. And this shot shows us why by making us feel all the tiny cuts they dig into us. I think you're right. I think you're right. And this 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 ties into to my second shot. So I want to uh, piggyback on, on what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, because I, I sort of chose in, in general the the copious amount of close-ups of, of characters addressing the screen. And the smash cut is, is one example, but there are a lot of uh, just still shots of, of characters addressing the camera. Um, you know, there's the, the Radio Rahim love-hate shot. Um, and I, I, think, I think that you're, you're right, sort of the, the person and therefore the, the mindset and the lineage of hate behind the words. And that it's, you know, the words themselves can't hurt, but the people who are, you know, almost comfortable displaying these words, that's the, that, you know, that's the bigger threat, that the, the mindset persists. I think Spike's tactic of, and, and, and Dickerson's tactic, because he, he helps forge this in, in all of Spike Lee's early films, it's mm-hmm. about more than just first-person narration or breaking the fourth wall. I think it's about engaging the audience and making us look the characters in their eyes, you know? Like, you, you, you know, you have to see where the real character lies, and that's beyond the words and the deeds, and that's just that's looking at them. He's not trying to tell you a story. Spike Lee's attempting to relate an experience, and this requires more than just a story. It requires communicating understanding, the kind that people like you and me can't necessarily acquire unless we've walked a metaphorical mile in a character's shoes. You know, Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson are forcing us to see these characters, not just watch what they're doing, and that's that's an important distinction. By doing so, they're enabling us to see ourselves in them, or at least to see them as they see themselves, which I think you know, is more important than, than telling us and, and succeeds where words would fail. My new emo band name is The Metaphorical Mile. The Metaphorical Mile? <laughs> it sounds pretty emo. That was nice. That sounded good. I like that. Um, you know, I was just thinking, um, I wasn't paying attention to anything you just said. That's probably for the best. No. That he used, uh, 25th Hour does the same thing when Edward Norton is talking into the mirror. Um Yeah. And there's that kind of parade of characters. He's he's using the same technique of, of breaking the fourth wall, but he's using that scene as a catharsis, whereas this scene is confrontational. Yeah, I mean, he's you know this this shot is the most prevalent. I, I a shot of conflict as opposed to the slower shots, like like those the dolly shots in Twenty Fifth Hour, or like that that really beautiful dolly shot that Dickerson did in Malcolm X when when Malcolm is walking into. Um, the meeting hall will mm-hmm. ultimately be ultimately be assassinated. Spoiler alert, yeah. I guess. Uh, but he's moving. <laughs> the low to, you're talking you know, about the low angle. Yeah, shot. the low angle That's shot, true. and that that establishes a much a much different tone than the smash zoom, or even than that that steady that steady uh, face on shot in Clockers of the little kid riding the bicycle. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, he just uses this shot over and over and over again, but each time and and each way he constructs it is different. And and here it needs to be confrontational. It needs to be literally in your face. And so that's what that's what he does. He, he yeah starts somewhere else and then puts the the camera in the character's face 
and yours. Yeah. yeah, you know, for my third shot on this film, I almost want to just talk about the, all the things that I love about this movie because there are so many individual frames of this movie that are so spectacular. Shots of the... Um, the group of guys um, sitting on the corner against that red. Oh wall. yeah, yeah. The shots of Mother Superior, those canted shots. Yeah. And all the moments with um, with the mayor, um, Radio Raheem's love and hate speech. Mm-hmm. When Spike is, or when Mookie is uh, blessing the bits of Rosie. Mm. You know, uh, uh, with the with the, the ice, ice cube. cube yeah. They, they are all shot so, so beautifully. Scene. Um, and all of the cinematography really does kind of come together in the end of a collection of all the things that make this movie great. All the use of color is present in the end of this movie. All the force and um, anger of the camera is present at the end of this movie. Well, you know what? The the, the first shot that I posted from this on, on One Perfect Shot was was that shot of the, the guy sitting on the corner. Uh, uh-huh. against, that, against that the red, red brick, brick wall. God, that's just such a beautiful shot. You know, and then I posted, um, you know, the the overhead shot of the the kid uh, drawing on the, uh-huh. on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I posted uh, a shot of Mother Superior when um, when she passed away. The the actress passed away, and I posted uh, Radio Raheem's love and hate uh, shot um, uh, when Ferguson happened. Oh, people, um, yeah. People went, you know, and it was a way to kind of comment on the scene while still using the the rules uh, of our account, the rules that we had at the at the time. And people really responded um, to that. Oh my gosh, it it got thousands and thousands of of, of retweets. Um, and it reminds me of a tweet that I remember I saw um, when we did that was, you know, decades later they're still asking why why Mookie smashed the window at Sal's instead of asking why. Why they killed Radio Radio. Uh, right. You know, and it just goes to show you that, that this movie is still so uh, prescient and timely. I mean, nothing has, nothing has changed. I, I think it's gotten more... I mean, I don't think anything has changed. I, 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 think, I, it's I think it's gotten it's, more relevant. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's one of those films that, that is going to, unfortunately, increasingly be more relevant. Right. As, as, we, as we keep fumbling through this grand yeah. project we call America. Oh, <laughs> that's how little that, that, that got a little weird there, didn't it? What do you got for your What do you got for your third favorite shot? Uh, you know what I'm, I'm You know what I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you. I, I I'm gonna go with you, and I think we should just talk a minute just about just the overwhelming greatness of, of the cinematography here, and, and and more important, I think just Dickerson understands going into this. The, the, like I said earlier, that this isn't just a story, it's an experience. And this is something that if it's going to be a success, and by that I mean if it's going to convey what people want it to be, it's got to resonate with as large an audience as possible. And I think the cinematography is really responsible for just sort of keeping you, just grabbing you by the lapels and just holding you to this film and and making it impossible for you to look away. There's so much dynamism in what the camera is doing. There's so much dynamism in the production design and the costuming and the and just sort of the the physical orchestration of this film like you're you're not you're not capable of looking away from do the right thing and that's exactly how it should be you shouldn't miss a second of it and i think that that's just you know this is all off the top of my ass but it, it i i'm struggling to think of a, of a more powerful film in cinematography terms where 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 the the art itself is is as urgent to the message of the film as the narrative is. 
Yeah, I think, you know, yesterday when I was done watching this movie, I, I tweeted out that good movies make you feel like a spectator. Great movies make you feel like a witness. And that was because of Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing makes you yeah. feel like a witness. It makes you feel like you're a part of this community by the way they're moving the the camera, by the way they're they're canting their shots when they need right. to, by the high angles and low angles, by suggesting um, what character has the, the, the high ground in that situation. You're right. That's important. I mean, it just makes you feel like you're there. You are a witness to the anger and frustration of this neighborhood uh, and love and, for and, that matter, because there's plenty. Of and that. that's that's a really important distinction, because in being a witness over being a spectator, as we are for many films, when you're a witness, you inherit the responsibility of what you've seen. You 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 don't just watch something you carry that with you and then hopefully you disperse the the positive things that you have taken from it out into the world through your actions and your just your your general being and that's what comes when you witness something because you you absorb that experience into you and allow it to modify the person that you are Before we go, a reminder, you can subscribe to our network of shows on Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app by simply searching One Perfect Pod. When you subscribe, you get access to the entire family of One Perfect Podcasts. And you can also visit filmschoolrejects.com slash pod for additional information. And please, please, please don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Your feedback means everything. On social media, you can follow this out on Twitter using at One Perfect Shot and on Facebook by adding backslash One Perfect Shot to the URL. And if you want to follow Jeff and myself, we're both on Twitter also. Him at the Jeff Todd. That's Jeff with a G. And I'm at H. Perry Horton. Next week, oh man, next week we are talking about uh, a film, for me personally, is the favorite film released in 1977. And no, it's not Star Wars. It's Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is shot by Luciana Vitoli. And it's a beautiful film. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, good viewing. Years after Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that freed the slaves, 200,000 people converge on the nation's capital to rally for civil rights. They come by train, they come by bus and by air. They come from the north, the south, the east and west. They come united in one cause, to urge Congress to pass a civil rights bill to end forever the blight of racial inequity. Washington, D.C., 1963. Democracy speaks in a mighty voice. Yo, check this out, man. We rolling this way. That march in 1963, that was a bit of nonsense. We ain't rolling like that no more. Matter of fact, the young black America, we rolling up with seminars, press conferences, and straight up rallies. Am I right? We gonna get what we got to get coming to us. Word up. We ain't going out like that 63 nonsense. Hey everyone, it's Neil again. 
Before you go, wanted to remind you once again that this episode that you just listened to is brought to you by Filmstruck, our sponsor all month long. Now you can stream critically acclaimed films and cult favorites from the world's greatest film libraries with Filmstruck. They're very excited to announce that they are now on Roku. As you know, Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and is the exclusive streaming home of the Criterion Collection. You know we love the Criterion Collection. Uh, If you're looking for a wealth of independent and foreign titles updated weekly, then you know the answer is Filmstruck. So get on over to Filmstruck.com and start your 14-day free trial today, especially if you have a Roku. 